Welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. Do you know who I am? Daniel Peter Henderson. There is a man. There is a man. A certain man. I mean, it's Dean Jeffrey. I say it every week. Woo! <laughs> he said it. He said it. <laughs> say the line. <laughs> and today we're breaking down Citizen Kane. Citizen Kang. Did you say Kang? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what we were meant to watch? <laughs> So, Citizen Kane released in 1941, written by Herman J. Mankiewicz and Mank. Orson Welles. Yes. Mank, yes, that guy. Directed by Orson Welles. Following the death of publishing tycoon Charles Foster Kane, reporters scrambled to uncover the meaning of his final utterance, Rosebud. Starring Orson Welles, Joseph Cotton, Dorothy Commodore, Everett Sloan, Ray Collins, George Collaris, and Ruth Warwick. So, do you know if any of these people actually went on to have decent careers or not? Joseph Cotton was also in The Third Man. I think he's the main guy. Okay. Opposite Orson Welles. The other ones, I believe they actually came from oh, theatre. Yeah, they came from Orson Welles Theatre Company. Yeah. That he, he would do a lot of radio shows with them. Okay. Like, I think famously he did uh, War of the Worlds. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, they, he, he had a whole crew. Because even, I'm sure, it was on the, um, the Blu-ray that you watched. Ha. <laughs> They had at the end, like, the, you know, most of these people, this was their first role, and they started showing them. Yeah. I mean, I quickly turned off after two because, my God, I just watched a lot. Citizen Kane. But, yeah, it was it was interesting to actually see that. Yeah, well, I certainly didn't know any of those other names, so if they did, I didn't know any of their movies. I mean, is Orson Welles even, like, a big name without Citizen Kane? Like, you mentioned The Third Man. I was reading that people had said, like, he really did waste his talent because he wasn't prepared to, I guess, be prepared and be disciplined. But did he go on to do, like, huge things? Or was it just one of those things where his first ever film was Citizen Kane and he was never going to get to that height again? That could be a big reason. Like, obviously, there was Touch of Evil. Obvious not to me. Oh, really? You haven't haven't seen the Hitchcock film Touch of Evil? Not to my knowledge, no. Charlton Heston, Orson Welles. It's a good film. Okay. Yeah, and then there was The Third Man as well. But I feel like... Honestly, this is odd because I'm asking you. Do you know if I've seen The Third Man? (laughs) I don't think you have. No, I think I saw M, and I think that's as close to The Third Man as I got. Yeah, it's like 20 years apart, but... Yeah, I see It's like film noir, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that's German and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really? Yes. Orson Welles speaks German. Wow. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. No, but I think you might be right there because- Thank you. I think it was the RKO production was the ones who would do, who let Orson Welles do the War of the Worlds radio broadcast. They actually got him into it. Like, Orson Welles got into a deal with them that gave him basically, like, infinite freedom as his first-time director. Infinite freedom, yes, but he still did have a budget. He had infinite freedom within his means. Like, he didn't have infinite funds. Yeah, but he got to do everything else as well. He had Final Cut. He got to pick all his actors. He got to do what he wanted on the set. Yeah, he was hired to, you know, write, produce, star, et cetera, et cetera, direct, to the point where... So, obviously, we saw Mank recently, but he actually tried to buy the writing rights off Mankiewicz. Yes. And apparently, it was one thing I read. And again, this is so long ago. Who knows how accurate this stuff is? But one thing I read was it wasn't an ego thing. It was because he was concerned at the time 
that the company would say, well, we hired you to do it mm-hmm. and you did not do it by yourself, so we, we don't want to pay you everything. Yeah. I, I mean, apparently that didn't happen, but that's, that's, that's just what I heard. Just what I heard. I did see he actually did pay him several thousand dollars, but the Writers Guild uh, said that, that wasn't allowed, so they shut that down. And apparently when he tried to get his money back, he'd already spent it. On booze, no doubt. No doubt. Speaking of Mankiewicz, for anyone who, I guess, has or hasn't seen Mank, he was contractually bound not to drink during the film's pre-production. He was known as an alcoholic at the time. To help him, Wells sent him out of Hollywood to a desert town in Victorville, where drinking establishments were in shorter supply. He also sent out the producer, John Houseman, to mind him. Mm. And if that sounds like a fun story, go and see Mank, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) We have cinematography by Greg Toland who has got six Academy Award nominations and won one for Withering Heights. He's also done two films, I believe, in the top 250, The Best Years of Our Lives, which won Best Picture that year, and The Grapes of Wrath. Did that win Best Picture? I don't think it did. We've also got music by Bernard Herman, who also got four nominations, won one for All That Money Can Buy, and he's done many Hitchcock films, including Psycho, Vertigo, The Birds, North by Northwest. Just say all, all no, the Hitchcock Those films. are the big ones. None of those got nominated for, uh, for music, score, whatever it was at the time. Yep. He also did the score for Taxi Driver. Ooh, yeah. that's good. Especially considering that he passed away that same year. Taxi Driver. Before Taxi Driver came out. So to keep the studio executives off his back, Wells claimed that the cast and crew were in rehearsal during the first few days of shooting, when in fact they were actually shooting the film. took a number of days before the studio caught on. Yeah, I read one little tidbit that when studio execs would actually visit the set, uh, all the actors would just stop what they're doing and play softball. Yeah, because they weren't allowed on the set. That was one of his stipulations. No one, it's a private shoot. So when when they get people to like spies would sneak onto the set, they just stopped doing it. I remember, I think I've played softball. Is softball just baseball but underarm? That sounds right. I think it is. Mm. And T-ball is where it's just sitting right in front of you. Yeah. yeah. T-ball was good. Yeah. And what's the one with the tiny wooden bats? Wiffle ball? No. Come on. It's not wiffle ball. There's something else. Rounders. Oh, Rounders. Rounders. Rounders was good. Rounders was good. Good movie too. It is. So this is the movie that pioneered the deep focus technique. Have you heard of the deep focus Pioneered. I mean, it was also used in Hitchcock's Rebecca the year prior. Yes, but this one made it so. Made what so? Deep focus. Made it a thing. A big thing. But that I, just got said, used- I just said it was a thing in Rebecca, which won Best Picture the year prior. Yeah. So it's not like it was in a, a little known film that he took mainstream. Rebecca was a big film. Well, what do you want me to tell you, Dean? When you hear deep focus, everyone says Citizen Kane. I mean, you should tell them they're wrong and that he stole it. All right, everyone listening. From Rebecca. You're wrong. Yeah. Give kudos to Hitchcock, right? Who is this awesome Wells bloke anyway? <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know what deep focus is, it's basically keeping every object in the foreground, center, and the background in simultaneous focus. It brought a sense of depth to the two-dimensional world of movies. So Dorothy Comingore, who plays Susan Alexander in this film, she was pregnant at the time. And Orson Welles thought this was an advantage while shooting because it would reassure the studio that he intended to film the f- finish the film on schedule. So he actually hid her pregnancy by shooting behind tables and you know hiding, uh, concealing the pregnancy there. Hmm. I mean, maybe that's why she was in such a bad mood all the time. Doesn't explain the drinking, though. Was she drinking in this? I feel like she was heavily drinking in those scenes where she's reliving the past. But I think it's a movie and a work of fiction. It's probably just, you know, water, no? And it's probably just acting like she's upset. Touche, Hendo. Thank you. Touche. So, obviously, this film has had its ideas about who it's centered around. William Randolph Hearst, obviously. You watch Mank, you understand what that's about. Charles Dance. Yeah, very good. And all that story about Marion Davis, how Susan Alexander is modeled after Marion Davis, who was with William Randolph Hearst at that time. Is that Seyfried? 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're bound to get a lot of big stories about what else was happening around that time and you know certain uh, things in the film and what they're modelled after. There was one big subplot that was taken out in the final film. It went to have a, it was going to have an affair that Kane discovers, and it was said to be based on Marion Davis's rumoured affair with Charlie Chaplin. So there were scenes written and storyboards designed for this sequence, but apparently once Hurst got wind of this subplot, Orson Welles ordered the sequence deleted from the script. He refused to discuss this the real reason for its removal in public throughout his life. However, according to his close friend Peter Bogdanovich, Wells claimed that Davies did in fact have an affair with Chaplin and Hearst learned of it while on a trip on Hearst's yacht with Davies, Chaplin and a number of other celebrity guests. Wells said that Hearst walked into a room and saw Davies and Charlie Chaplin having sex. He pulled sex, out- you say? Yes. With Charlie Chaplin? He pulled out a gun and Charlie Chaplin ran out of the room and onto the deck. Hearst fired at Chaplin but accidentally shot Thomas Ince, who was an upcoming producer and director, killing him. This sounds like a skit from modern times. There was an elaborate cover-up followed, including a columnist who saw the whole thing and uh, agreed to keep her mouth shut if William Randolph Hearst would can, would start putting her in all of his films, which he did. This legend actually became the basis of Bogdanovich's own film, The Cat's Meow, in 2001. Have you heard of this? No. I believe it's got Kirsten Dunst in it. Oh, The Cat's Meow. Yeah. It has... Carrie Elwes. Yeah, and it has someone, I forgot who it is, playing Charlie Chaplin. Eddie Izzard. That's right. If only you knew about that film, maybe you would have guessed Charlie Chaplin last week on the Pod v Pod. God, this Eddie Izzard hasn't been in much. My super ex-girlfriend. Oh, actually, it was in the Avengers, the 1998 Avengers. <laughs> but this was released on the 1st of May in 1941 with a runtime of 119 minutes. With several taglines. Now, the taglines that I saw that were quite prominent really just talked about how amazing this movie was. So, I steer clear from that. What do you think of these three different taglines, Dean? Is one of them, it's terrific? <laughs> that's the one I dodged. Because that's like the main poster for yeah. this film. Everybody's talking about it. But I don't hear a word or saying. First tagline, the classic story of power and the press. I mean, is that a classic story? I don't know. I, I- don't think so. I hate him. I love him. He's a scoundrel. He's a saint. He's crazy. He's a genius. What do you think of that one? Terrible. Some called him a hero. Others called him a heel. What's a heel? Like a like a thorn in your side? Okay, I don't like it because I don't know what heel is. I just told you what it was. I don't think you're right, though. Well, why don't you look it up? Heel meaning <laughs> the back of a foot. <laughs> what is a heel? Well, slur. What about that? I wonder if I'll get it from that. Heel spurs. <laughs> <laughs> Achilles tendonitis treatment. God damn it. Uh... Yep, never mind. That's not going to happen. All right, budget of $839,000 and worldwide gross $1.6 million. So despite all the publicity, the film was a box office flop and was quickly consigned to the RKO vaults. At the 1941 Academy Awards, the film was booed every time one of its nine nominations was announced. It was only re-released to the public back in the mid-50s. I mean, surely that is just the members of the Oscars there trying to get on, like, Hurt's good graces. Yeah, he's probably told them all, every single person, just just slam this film. Or maybe they just didn't like it. Well, they certainly changed their tune over, over several years, didn't they? Hold on. But to boo it. No, booing it is beyond not liking it. Booing yeah. it is making a statement. They have an and agenda. I feel, like, I feel like, yeah, an agenda. I feel yeah. like this is Hertz related. And it hurts me to say this. Oh, I know, that was it's too easy. But this did get nine nominations, like I just said. It won one. The eight nominations it got was Best Music of a Scoring in a Dramatic Picture, which it lost to The Devil and Daniel Webster. I mean, am I going to know any of these films that you're going to say won that year? Yes. It lost film editing to Sergeant York. It lost Best Sound Recording to That Hamilton Woman. What? (laughs) 
It lost Best Art Direction in the Interior Decoration Black and White category to How Green Was My Valley. In the Black and White category? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. How Green Was My Valley? Pretty black and white, honestly. Not very. <laughs> it lost Best Cinematography Black and White to How Green Was My Valley. It Orson Welles lost Best Director to John Ford for How Green Was My Valley. I've heard of Ford. Yes, he's the one who's won the most director yes. Oscars. Yeah. Orson Welles also lost Best Actor to Gary Cooper in Sergeant York. And the film lost Best Picture to How Green Was My Valley. And the movie I've heard of is? How Green Was My Valley. How would I have heard of that? Because we've spoken about it several times on this show. I have not seen it. You've spoken about it, though. I've spoken about a film I haven't seen. You've We've spoken about this film. You know about this film. What's it about? It is the one that beat Citizen Kane for Best Picture that year. Okay. What is it about? It is about a valley, and because it's black and white, you have to decide how green it is. Wow. That was so bad. Even by your very low standards. So bad it's good, though. The one it did win was Best Original Screenplay. For Mank. <laughs> in fact, in 2003, the Oscar statuette that Orson Welles won for this went on auction, but it was actually voluntarily withdrawn so that the Academy could buy it back for just a dollar. It's not what I read. I read it sold for over $800,000. I also read that Manx's Oscar statue sold for 500000 which I thought someone got ripped off. Who cares about Manx's statue? They would have made more money if they sold it now. Oh, really? <laughs> Is that because of inflation and <laughs> no? because of the because of the new movie, dickhead. <laughs> I don't know. That's probably ruined. <laughs> ruined its worth, surely. So the AFI poll ranked this film number one on its list of greatest American movies of all time in '98, and again in 2007. But what about our regular scores here, Dean? What do you reckon, critics or audience for Rotten Tomatoes? Critics. Yes, critics. One hundred percent. One hundred. Audience yep. ninety. Metacritic, 100. Really? <laughs> yes. What a bunch of tosses. <laughs> Letterboxd, 4.2. But let's take a look at the history of Citizen Kane in the IMDb Top 250 list. I'm curious how high this got. I can see it opening at number one. Or was that Star Wars? It was Star Wars yeah. back in old yeah, uh, 1996. This debuted onto the very first list on the 26th of April, 1996 at number 10. Uh, top 10, eh? And then by May 2001, it was sitting at number three. Really? Yeah. What about now, Hendo? It has dropped over the last 19 years. 20 now, I guess. 20? Yeah, to where it currently sits at number 96 with an 8.3, over 401,000 votes. So I guess it's fair to say it hasn't stood the test of time. <laughs> yeah, back on uh, IMDb's first list in the old 1940. Yeah, the last 20 years have uh, not been kind to it. <laughs> well, you've certainly given a lot of positivity to this film over the first uh, section of trivia here, Dean. I'm curious to see what your actual thoughts are on this film. Why don't we break down the supposed greatest film of all time, Citizen Kane? So did you catch the opening titles here, Dean? Is that before or after the no trespassing sign? It's before, where it's basically just the word Citizen Kane come up. Because this oh, is that- this is this is no, this is No, you listen. <laughs> oh God. I like this. This is how all these old movies should open. This set the precedent. Really? Yes, really. Every other film did this after this. I don't know about that. Okay. Don't know about that. I don't know every film. I don't think so. Some of the trendsetters decided this is a good thing to do. Mm. Yeah. No trespassing sign. Very foreboding music here. Kind of sounded like, felt like a start of a horror film, like a Frankenstein. foreboding, ominous music. I just wrote foreboding. The camera moves slowly up the fence. What are we doing, audiobook here? Monkeys randomly in a cage. Why are they there? Who knows? I guess we'll find out. We'll find out like five minutes when we, they mention Xanadu has a zoo. Yeah. What the fuck is this place? Xanadu. It really did feel like Rebecca's mansion. Uh, Ma- Mand- Mandalay? Mandalay. Mandalay. Yeah. Did you get that vibe? Honestly? No. I really did. Man, do you want to go break down Rebecca again? 
I mean, it's funny, like, you watch a film like this and then it sort of makes you appreciate a film like Rebecca Moore, doesn't it? <laughs> the remake. <laughs> no. <laughs> Does that have Army Hammer in it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Had to take out that scene he was drinking the blood. <laughs> Allegedly drinking the blood, Hendo. <laughs> Uh, no, this house, it really does look like a haunted house here. Um, it looks, what I liked is it looks like an abandoned house. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the lights start going on and off inside and you're like, ah, someone's there. I noticed this golf course in tatters here. Did you notice that? I did notice the golf course, Dean. That's surprising because you've never played golf. That you know of. <laughs> was the uh, the yards to par, was that good? See, a true golfer would know that it is. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah pretty yeah. good. You could get there in four? No, it was, it was a par three. I'd, I'd get there in one. <laughs> anyway, the snow globe. We sort of we sort of start on the inside of the globe, and then the camera like really fast yeah. zooms out. And it was at this point I realised we're going to see a lot of like innovative camera movements. Yeah, lots of new techniques. Like when I saw that, I was like, oh wow! Like even now, even having seen a thousand quick zooms, you know, watching shit like Guy Ritchie snatch, <laughs> you see something like this and. And obviously, it's made in the 40s, like early 40s, but you're still like, damn, this would have been very original. Absolutely. And there's a lot of those shots coming up where, like, the camera goes through, like, little bits and pieces where you look up trivia about it and it's like, yeah, it's like a, it's a split apart thing where it's just quick camera movements yeah. and to put the thing back in place before it turns around and yeah. things like that. It's like, good innovative stuff. Yeah, they, they invented the split apart thing. I like it. Um, but no, the, the the honestly, the filming of the snow globe here where you see his nurse, I guess. In the reflection on yeah. the snow globe? Yeah. Really good. You've gone over one of the most iconic lines in movie history. Rosebud. Yeah, apparently it was um, the name of that actress, Clitoris. Marion Davis. Yeah. It's funny how you forget Marion Davis, but you remember Clitoris. I mean, how could you forget Clitoris, Hendo? <laughs> it's, it's unforgettable. You should not forget. <laughs> The clitoris, Hendo. <laughs> it is interesting that you mentioned the line rosebud, obviously. We only see his mouth. Yes. You know, we don't actually see the full head or his full, you know, form here. There's so much obscuring of actors in this film. Especially I noticed that the Thompson character who's going around trying to find out what rosebud means. Yeah, the reporter. You, yeah, you never see his face. No. Very strange. It is very strange. Is that trying to signify the character, like the specific character isn't that important and it's more just about him as a general person? Like we are this guy just trying to find out what is going on? Yeah, I think so. I think the idea is that the audience is, you know, invested in this mystery and yeah, we're getting the clues as the film is presenting it to us. Hmm. Interesting. It was an interesting open. I actually did like these, this open here. Uh, it posed a lot of questions, and at this point, I was interested in the answers. And then you got to News on the March. Then I got to News on the March with, which, oh, my God, if you want to lose me in a film, I this thing went on so long, I actually stopped it and said to Britt, I was like, oh, my God, is a whole movie like this? This is like mini Citizen Kane. This is, yeah. You see most of it here. And then they're just going to drag it out for the rest of the film. But do you think this this here is just giving us this is the, the quick facts quick? Oh, okay, quick, yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, okay. The quick facts, really. <laughs> this is the quick facts about Kane's life, and now we're going to see everything personal about him. Why did we need this? I though? don't I don't know. I'm trying to think 
why they have this here. Like, they could have shown us this information, like, drip-fed it through us, through all these people's stories as we're going through Kane's life. I don't know why they had to say, right, he married here, they divorced, uh, this person died, his son died, and then he got a second wife, and then this happened, and then, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, what? what is going on here? Yeah, what? what is the positive part of this to know all this stuff before it happens? Like... There has to be other movies that we've seen where they have done this as well. All right, could it be? Could it be that this was the trailer for the film and they accidentally <laughs> left it in? Were trailers this bad in 1941? I don't think they were. I think they're too busy I hyping avo- up their own film. I avoid trailers, and I felt like this was just spoilers. I mean, it does. They do have it here because this sets up. Hey, this is this news isn't going to be good. We need to get something like solid out of this. We need to find out something personal about him. Like, let's find out what Rosebud means. But do they have to make it this long? It's way too long. Like, it, like they do this news obituary. It's like a this is your life thing. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out, like, through the two different contexts here, between part of the story where they need, they're going to change it, they think this is not good enough, we need to find out about Rosebud, as opposed to us in the audience knowing all this stuff about Kane before it happens and then get, go actually in-depth to every part of his life. And then instead of us having to figure out his life piece by piece as it goes along, we're actually just tapping into the uh, the psyche of something, or, or of Kane. I mean, do we want to mention this stuff at all? Yeah, let's talk about Xanadu. They talk about this thing like it's a person. Xanadu. They start off talking about Xanadu, this this monument place full of... Place. You know, this, a zoo. Yeah. The biggest private zoo since Noah. Noah. You know Noah. Yeah, he had a an ark with the zoo on it. I mean, surely, call me crazy, surely this zoo would be a bigger zoo than on an ark. I imagine it would be. How big could an, could an ark possibly be? What is an ark? Is it a ship? It's something that a character goes through. Is it a ship? It's something like a ship. How is an ark different to a ship? You're not asking the right person here. Because it's made of wood? I think a ship is made of wood. I don't think anymore they're made of wood. But back then, I reckon if they made arcs these days, it'd be made out of metal. Can they make an arc these days? I don't think you're allowed to anymore. Maybe by definition, arcs are from olden times. Maybe an arc and a ship are the same thing. It's just like, right, from, you know, BC, 1 BC or 0 BC. 0 BC? 0 AD? I don't know if it's BC or AD for the zero, but I reckon it's something like some sneaky bastard by like uh, Steve Ship claimed ownership on the Ark. Steve? Steve Ship. You think back then <laughs> his name was Steve? Well, it'll be Stephen. At least call him Steve. No, no, but his mates called him Steve and he was like, Steve Ship. I think his mate called him Stefan. Yeah, Stefano Shippero. That was his name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Xanadu. They, why, do you want, why do you want to talk about no, Xanadu? Because the way they said it's, it's so built up to be this major, major thing. And in the end, it's just like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's just this big place. They they start off by talking about Kane by saying Xanadu's landlord died. And that man was Charles Foster Kane. Like, this leads into Charles Foster Kane's death because they're talking about Xanadu. I just think both you and this news on the march overrate Xanadu. Just looks like a nice house. I don't think anyone overrates Kane in this film because he's an international superstar. All those newspapers coming up of his death in all the different languages. This guy was a big deal. Anyway, so I'm I'm a bit hazy on how he got his initial wealth. He was at a boarding home. No, okay, so here's what happened, right? He was with these parents who didn't want him. No, his parents owned this old like landmine. He got left a deed to an abandoned mine shaft. Yeah, which they found gold in. He struck gold. Yes, literally. And that's it. And so to get the the deed to his money, he had to go live with this Thatcher guy who the money would keep 
coming in with all the gold that they were continuing to pour out of this place, and he would get all his money when he turned 25. 21. 21. Or- that doesn't make the sense. Folk, the only that maybe the folks wouldn't get their share of the money if they didn't hand this guy over, because I, then Thatcher would need to get the money off him, because it because it's Kane's land, so he wants to why become why his, is, so those two quote unquote parents aren't his parents? They are his parents. Then why don't the parents own it and not this child? I don't know. I was a bit confused here myself. Thank you. Don't act like you have all the answers if you don't know either. Because I'm watching this, I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure. At first, it was like boarding home. I was like, is this an orphanage? No, it's it's not. I don't think. But at one point, like the woman says to him, to like the dad, who seems nice, and I'm sure we're going to come to this scene later anyway, she's like, oh, this is why he's being sent away because so he's not exposed to you. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, he seems pretty chill at the start. He seems great. And then the mother acts like he's the problem and he's well, so he bad. Hits, he's, he threatens to like smash his head in. No, that's nothing. God, come around to my house for an evening. Oh, God. <laughs> but like, she's acting like this, this dad is so bad, she has to send the son away forever. All right, so here's what I've got here. In 1871, gold was discovered through a mining deed belonging to Kane's mother, Mary Kane. She hired Thatcher to establish a trust that would provide for Charles Kane's education and to assume guardianship of him, while Thatcher and Charles' parents discussed arrangements inside, blah, 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 blah. So there you go. What? The gold mine belonged to his mum. Okay. So why did she need to give this guy a kid? So that he would grow up to be responsible for it. To assume... Oh, to assume... To provide, him with, yeah, to provide him with education and give him as a guardianship. Okay. So, I think it's more, right, these poor people have amazingly run into all this wealth, but they do not live the life of a rich person. Let's send their son, who would normally grow up poor, to a rich person's house so he can actually grow up with a good education. Yeah, grow up to learn how to be rich so that when he does actually become rich, he knows what to do. What's the bet that everything we just said is wrong? Minimal. Hmm. Walter P. Thatcher, though. I love how the, the news calls him grand old man. But Thatcher, you know, is quick to call Kane a communist, which is funny considering that in real life, William Randolph Hearst was so angered by this film that he accused Orson Welles of being a communist to help keep the film from being released. We do get a mention of a sled here, though. Yes. What's it got to do with a sled? What's the big deal about a sled? What? Is what everyone is thinking at this time on their first watch. Because they say, uh, was struck by, apparently, Kane's rival was apparently struck by Kane in a sled. Yes. And they all laugh about it. And you actually see that later on. Yes. But we're still with the news, of course, because we got more to learn about Charles Foster Kane that we couldn't most, learn most throughout the, the movie. Most of this podcast will be on the news. We should really, we should just forget the rest and just discuss the film through the news. Do we have to have our old-timey news voice? Yes. You start. Charles Foster Kane controlled big wars. Coming to you over the airwaves. Uh, okay. What else we got? Oh, a Kane quote. Do you like the, uh, the like, Charlie Chaplin... Boom, words on the screen. That's all right. I mean, I didn't think anything of it. I am, have been, and will only be one thing, an American. You know, the original title of this film was American. Yeah, and Wells wanted to call it John Q. Mm, both terrible. Mm-hmm. Citizen Kane. Both average movies as well. Haven't seen John Q. What's American? The American, Clooney. Ah, haven't seen that either. Both average films. I'll be skipping those then. But Kane, massive powerhouse, controls everything. He's got an opinion on everyone, and he'll let it be known, good or bad, supported, denounced, both sides, several times. He's all over the joint. I mean, yeah, sure. But, but we get, we get we to get, his personal life. Yeah, let's get to his, his marriages. Uh, his first one didn't end well. And first wife died with their son in the car. Yeah, several years after, yep. which was weird because I've, I did write that down and then completely fo- forgot that they died in the car accident two years later. So when 
it got to the point where they were like getting in the car. They're like, oh, here's a car, here's a car accident. This is going to happen now. And they're like, when he finds out about the affair and they get in the car, they're like, oh, they're going to die now. I'm like, but they, they get divorced. How's that happening if, this, if they're going to die right now? Yeah, maybe you should have written it. I love how you see his second wife, Susan Alexander, and the, the news is like, and he made her an opera house. Like, fucking hell. <laughs> $3 million. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. But now we hear about this love triangle that seemingly cost him his uh, presen- presidency candidacy. Mm-hmm. I really feel like we should have just skipped the news because we're just going to go over all of this stuff again. Yeah, but we're going to go over it in personal detail. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've literally written, God, I hope the whole movie isn't like this. <laughs> well, it's coming to a close soon here, Dean, because all these newspapers went out of business. He outlived his power, became a recluse, and then he died, uttering Rosebud. Which... I mean, no one else was in the room when it happened. Yeah, I've heard this. I mean, it's true. Mm. And two, like, there is a guy that says he heard it. The butler says it later on, that he was there when he heard it. But he's alone in the room. But he may, it may not be alone in the room. Like, there's so much darkness used in every single shot. Well, this, this guy shot. just hiding in the corner. I mean, it's a butler. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Is now, it? How do we, yeah, how do we know he was alone in the room? What, what, what from the film led us to believe that? Okay, what led me to believe it was... When he collapses and drops the snow globe, the only person that rushes to him comes from outside the room. They open the door, the, the maid comes, in, or the nurse, opens the door and goes to him. And no one else goes to him in that moment. If there was a butler standing in the shadows, as cool as that sounds, he would have reacted. Okay, but- I don't think it's against butler code to help someone who's potentially dying. Maybe he ran out of the dead. room to get the nurse. What? Maybe he ran out of the room to get the nurse, and that's when the nurse comes in. That is so stupid. And in all fairness, what gave the indication that he had died? He basically just- Okay, forget the death. He could have fallen asleep. What? He, all, he, all you see is him say the words, and then he like drops the globe out of his hand. And it shatters loudly. Oh, that signifies death. I mean, even if it's not death, even if it's he's collapsed, you still go to him. I mean, if you're sitting there watching him in the shadows, and you see nice. him like drop the globe, it's yeah. like, hey, he just fell asleep. No. Because <laughs> if you fall asleep, the sound of glass shattering would, you know, if you're dozing, would wake you up. I mean, we didn't hear the sound of glass shattering. What, what do you mean? We heard the boom. So, are you saying that maybe the butler heard the score of the film? Yes. When he dropped the snow globe and it shattered. Yeah, that's why he didn't have anything to worry about. Mm-hmm. I think we can agree this is an error. <laughs> I mean, you blow my mind. There's no explanation for it. But let's finish the news. I thought we already did. You want to keep talking about the news? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, okay, what do we got? I've written more about the lighting here. I really can't get over how dark this film is. It's so dark. Is that a good or a bad thing? It's bad. Okay. Yeah, It's too dark. Too dark? You don't think so? I thought it was the appropriate amount of dark. What a surprise. Everyone. Why is it what a surprise? Look because at you rolling your Citizen eyes. Citizen Kane. So. When have I ever banged on about Citizen Kane? You love Citizen Kane. Ah, I think you'll find later on that that one will not be the case. Uh, I had no problem with the lighting in this film. Okay, okay. That's fine. Just lacked a bit of color for my life. Oh. <laughs> you picked this film. You knew it was black and white. I can't believe I picked this film. <laughs> What was I thinking? I just watched Mank, hated it. Why would I want to watch something about similar topics? Why? You're asking a question about yourself. Why am I answering what this? What was I thinking when I picked this film? No one knows what you're this thinking This was ever. never going to end well, was it? I don't know. I'm never going to come out and say, oh, I love Citizen Kane. And if I don't, I'll get crucified by film nerds for not loving Citizen Kane. I imagine that's not going to be the last rant we'll hear from you today. We shall see. So, we see Susan Alexander Kane, who you like to call... Susan Alexander, who shall henceforth be known as Susan. Is that okay, Daniel Peter? <laughs> I'm all right with that. 
Uh, okay, so she's not very happy. I mean, I know, like, they weren't married when he died. Yeah. They're divorced. She's really upset, though. I mean, that's not uncommon. She's not very nice to the reporter who's just trying to ask some friendly questions to her. Maybe she doesn't like reporters. Wow. Really? Yeah. Do you like reporters? She's just trying to grieve, and she doesn't need some guy coming in into her personal business. She was married to a newspaper tycoon guy, and she doesn't like, you know, the source of the news. Yeah. Maybe that's why she divorced him. Wow. All yep. right. Let's, let's just... Uh, so, we've got Kane's general manager here, Mr. Bernstein. Mm-hmm. Or Bernie, as he goes by. Did you call him Bernie? No, I called him Bernstein. Yeah, very good. But we're at Kane as a kid on his sleigh. He throws snowballs. Oh, you didn't, you didn't want to look at the transition between uh, the Thatcher Memorial, how we've got the, the text, a snowy day in 1941, I believe it was, and then it just transitions straight into Kane as a young kid. You missed that? No, I didn't miss it. It just wasn't noteworthy. I thought it was. Okay, go on. I just said it. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's it was a it. nice transition. Okay, nice transition. So, to answer your question, no, I did not want to talk about this transition. And yet we've spoken about it more than either of us wanted to. <laughs> Can we get back to this carefree boy? I feel like this scene is important. This reminds me of It's a Wonderful Life, where there's slaying, slaying on the shovels and the and Have the you ever ice. sled? I've slayed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I've never even been to the snow or seen snow. So. I've been to the snow once. I was terrible. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound great. It's cold and wet. That you had to do the whole... Uh, and it gets everywhere. Put <laughs> <laughs> You had to do the whole... If you're on the skis, you've got to uh, turn them inwards to uh, go faster and then turn them outwards to stop. And I just put them straight and went down the hill and decided the best way to stop is to just deliberately fall over. <laughs> Did it work, though? I mean, I stopped. There you go. Hurt. It's snow. It's hard still. To, clearly, you've never been to the snow. I'm pretty sure I've seen in films it's pretty soft and fluffy. It's like clouds. <laughs> yeah, I'm skiing on the clouds. Yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> I, am, I am light as a feather when I go over these things. There you go. <laughs> we mentioned the dad, the real dad here, how he's you know a good, good nice guy. He's really defending Kane here. Kane. Like, he calls him Kane. <laughs> he's really defending Charles here. Like, I don't think this is the right thing we should be doing. But then he mentioned, they mentioned the money. He's like... Well, you know, if this is the right thing to do, then all right then. I mean, it's fifty thousand a year. That is, that is big. I mean, we're already f- filming this film in the forties, and that would have been huge. But we're going back to what is it, eighteen seventy-one? From memory, that is fifty grand a year is just insane amounts of money. Yeah, that is monstrous. You see, at this point, and I know you did too. All I'm thinking about is The Simpsons right now. I mean, this film, I feel like I've already seen it, except funny in The Simpsons. Bobo. <laughs> like, it's... I actually, before I came over tonight, I, I, I watched like a five-minute clip of oh, yeah? Simpsons um, Citizen Kane references. Nice. And it, it's just everywhere. Like, there's so much, like, minor stuff that even you, having seen Simpsons a lot and Citizen Kane once, twice? Is this your first watch of Citizen Kane? No. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is my second. I'm pretty sure I said at one point that I've seen Citizen Kane before, and that was not true. Wow. Yeah, this is my first viewing. Interesting. I think I watched Casablanca once, and then I watched Citizen Kane. But when I watched Citizen Kane, I reckon I watched five minutes. Okay. I've also seen uh, I've also seen Casablanca once as well. Don't remember much about it. Anyway, Simpsons. How good is that? That ep- yeah, that show is good in its prime, and this episode that this is based off is also good. Rosebud. I did when I was watching the film, and I saw the slam like that. That I know. There it is. There it That's is. What it is. 
destroy the button. <laughs> now, they do a good job of uh, cutting through time quite quickly here. They go very quick to uh, Charles Foster Kane as a strapping young lad. Yeah, I read that uh, Orson Welles would spend even longer to make himself look good as a young man versus in the makeup chair versus when he was old because he doesn't actually look like that normally. Mm. And when he would go out in public, people would be like, oh, gee, you haven't aged very well. He'd be like, I never looked that good when I was younger. <laughs> so it was all makeup. What about the old man makeup in this film? It's great. It's iffy at points. It's great. It's the 40s. It's fine. There are points where I'm like, eh, okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> I, I, You're all over the joint. Honestly, like they show him from like what twenty to sixty, and it's the forties, and I think they did a good job. Fair enough. I mean, obviously, it's never going to be as good as Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. That's not who I go to <laughs> straight away when you say. What do you, what do you go to? Old man makeup. Go Russell Crowe, isn't it? Beautiful Mind. You can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> you have inception my mind with that. Jeez, you can't think of one uh, thing. Ironically, all I can now think of is Russell Crowe. Oh, what about uh, Amadeus? Yeah, okay. Nah, it's still Russell Crowe, isn't it? Uh, what I feel like there's like a Robin Williams film where he- That's called Mrs. Doubtfire. He turns into <laughs> so, a woman. Ah, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> An older woman. It is old yeah. old makeup, but sadly, I don't think it counts. What about Radcliffe in Deathly Hallows Part 2? I feel like that's more CGI, isn't it? Either way, it was, it was terrible. All right, I'll go with Russell Crowe because I literally can't think of anyone else right now. Okay, I've got it. The best old man makeup ever. You ready? I'm going to blow your mind with how you have not thought of this already. Is it Ralph Fiennes in The English Patient? No, it's Marlon Brando in The Godfather. That's good. That, that's got to be the best. Yeah. I mean, I keep thinking of The Irishman. Yeah, but- But they're already old. They're already, they're already super very, old. Very old. And I mean, you did just show me a picture of Benjamin Button. I did. I did. Anyway, back to Kane. Must be- uh, Disappointing for Thatcher to have this uh, protege of his grow up to uh, not want to do anything he wants to do. So yeah, I'm not going to take over all those gold mines and that. Then off for me, I'm going to go run a newspaper. It's like, yeah. What? Yeah. Why would you want to do that? Because he wants power. He wants to control the people. Yes. He is the ma- he is the man for the people. He wants. He says what needs to be said. He tells the truth, regardless of how that's going to affect him. Also, regardless of evidence. Yes. He's going to say it. <laughs> But he does have a good line here. And I will say, there were a few quotes I actually noted down. Mm -hmm. You can tell the writing is very good. And I'm not just saying that because I went in knowing it won one Oscar for writing. But there were things where I heard them and I was like, yeah, that's really good. When he says that the paper is costing him $1 million a year, I'm willing to lose it this year, next year, the year after that. And that rate, I'll have to close it in 60 years. Yeah. And that little smirk. He gives that little smirk like, yep, that's right. And it's a great line because not only does it show, yeah, I have oodles of money, but also it shows so much about his personality. Yeah. He literally gives zero fucks what this guy thinks. Yeah. But also, money does not mean as much to him as, you know, other people. Yeah. But perfect contrast when it fast forwards to 1929 when the stock market crashed and here he is having to sign over all these newspapers to Thatcher. Hmm. And you talk about great lines in this film and here's another one here. He's like, what would you like to have been? Everything you hate. I thought that was a good line. Yeah. No, I thought it was too. So much venom in it. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, there's another one we just brushed over as well. If I hadn't been really rich, I might have been a great man. Solid. Like, this stuff is great. And can we just touch on Orson Welles for a sec? Hmm. I said I don't know him from anything. He, he 
he is very good in this. Like, yes. he has great on-screen presence. Yes, I completely agree. And him controlling everything in this movie to still put out a performance like this. Like, he was, I heard he was, I read he was doing like 18-hour days every day. Like, he'd get up at like 2.30 in the morning for makeup and work all the way through. Hmm. Like, to have the, the stamina to do everything that is being involved in a movie is commendable. Yeah. But we're back in the uh, the present now, where Thompson's talking to Bernstein again. Again, lots of, like a couple of good lines here again. Well, it's no trick to make a lot of money. All you want is to make a lot of money. Yeah, but I think it's Bernstein who says that it was never money he wanted. And I guess it's easy to say he never wanted money because he always had an unlimited supply yeah. of money. That line I said, where he was uh, talking about Thatcher. Oh, yeah. okay, good. Because... I was going to say, yeah, that, do- that doesn't really make sense. But, uh, they, yeah, he does. Bernstein does suggest that uh, he goes to see Leland. Now, how many Lelands do you know? None. I know a Lelou, multipass. Yeah, I know. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. What about Leland Meeks? Do you know Leland Meeks? I mean, that name rings a bell. Yeah. He worked for Dudley, Dudley Smith. <laughs> Do that, does that name ring a bell? You said Dudley, and I started thinking Harry Potter. Wow. Really? Yeah. God, what did I see him in? Oh, Queen's Gambit, that actor's in. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, he plays Dudley Dursley in uh, Harry Potter, obviously. All right, what about Kane's first days at the Inquirer? What do you make of this Mr. Carter character? One thing I actually did notice, a lot of people talk over each other in this movie, which I think may have been one of those new techniques that was going around there as well. Okay, I, I honestly didn't notice that. It, it definitely started here, where you've got Carter talking to Kane while Leland's also there, and they're going back and forth, and everyone's talking over each other. Oh, sorry, while I think of it, because I didn't put a, a pin on that last thing, uh, Leland Meeks is LA Confidential. Yes, okay. Yep. Yep. Sorry, yep. Just, <laughs> I just realised we didn't finish that train of thought. So, if yep. anyone's wondering, I was just dropping some uh, LA Confidential. Rolo Tomasi. Yeah. Ed Exley. Yes. Uh, Russell Crowe. Bud. I was thinking about it. Like, it's got to be one of those movies where I can actually name the most characters in. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. I just, I know those characters and their character names so well. Wow. All right. Anyway, go on. Back to Citizen Kang. You were talking about Carter. Yeah, how would you be this Carter guy who's been running this place for a while now? And all of a sudden, this big hotshot cane comes in and he's like, "Yeah, we're just going to change everything. Just all of our, all of our, you know, morals and all that. Just, just going out the window." It'd be terrible. Yeah, it would be the worst. No wonder this guy walks out like the next day. Yeah, you couldn't stay there. Nah, you couldn't. Absolutely not. Uh, but now we get this little song and dance number. Yeah, I love how he basically steals the writers of the Chronicle, and I love how you get that shot of the photo where it zooms in and then it yeah. comes back out, and it's actually them taking yeah. the photo. For the Inquirer now. Yeah, stuff like that. Six years later, just like time jump, boom. It's so rare that I watch a film and actually think to myself, this was directed well. Yes. Like, it is so rare where I think, yeah, great directing. It's one of those things. Like, I realize the director is, like, the boss on on set, on stage, on set, (laughs) um, and controls so much. But I was watching this. I was like, these techniques they're using here are great and great now. They must have blown people away in 1941. This is one of those films that any film student or aspiring filmmaker would watch and be like, oh, I wish I could make this film. Yeah, so much so that they booed it nine different times at the Academy Awards and it didn't win any of the things it should have. It just took time. It yes, took time exactly. for them to realise. It was just a like a nice bottle of wine. Wasn't it as vintage yet? No. Did you, you certainly are. Your tone has certainly changed over the last uh, 20 minutes. How so? I mean, you were just shitting all over this film about half an hour ago. I think that beer started to kick in, Endo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but that news of the whatever was so bad. <laughs> I mean, this yeah, this dance number is pretty pretty cool, mainly because I enjoyed it in The Simpsons. 
Were you singing the Simpsons song? I mean, I was, you know. It's Monty Burns. That's Mr. Burns. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, isn't that? Are they supposed to be having a party for like the guy who's retiring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they just like throw him out. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but Kane, he wants to go collecting statues. He wants to go take, get all the statues from around the world. I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, you've got this newspaper empire going on. You don't need to be there anymore. Just You've got millions and millions of dollars. Just go have some fun. I mean, he's just he's behaving like he's the richest man in the world, you know? Like, what else are you meant to do with this money? Like, why not use it? Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. But no, surprise. He comes back with the president's niece. Yes. The niece. Uh and, you know, we do cut back to present. They say it didn't end well. And it's here where we get this great quote. Old age. It's the only disease, Mr. Thompson, that you don't look forward to being cured of. Which I read was voted number 90 on the 100 Greatest Movie Lines by Premiere in 2007. Hmm. I did see that Rosebud was voted number one somewhere, which I think is a terrible quote. I mean, it's one word. It's Yeah. It could be the number one best movie word. It's not, but yeah, okay. What would be the best movie word? Freedom! Inception. <laughs> just the name of the movie. Come on, have, have, a, have a stab at some other ones. So just... Iconic movie quotes that are just one word. One word? Yeah. Oh, Batman. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it's really hard. Freedom's, freedom's, honestly, freedom's a really good one. Adrian. Adrian. What about hasta la vista? And that's it. Is hasta la vista one word? If you say it fast enough, it is. Okay. Let's move on. Yes. Let's move on, shall we? Yes. All right. We got old man Leland here. Yes. He's got some good lines too. Maybe I wasn't his friend, but if I wasn't, no one ever was. It's really good writing. Yes, we've we've gathered this. All right, but let's let's take a look at this first marriage of uh, Kane and uh, Mrs. Kane, and this is my excellent. You know, I I did struggle for an excellent in this film. Wonder why. But this one actually did stand out to me as I was going through it, and then looking back on it over the, every other scene, it still remained excellent. This this is great. I uh, like this this montage here of seeing a marriage in so many stages of its, you know, life, yes. I guess, just breaking down conversation after conversation that's filmed in a way that it's like one conversation though. Yeah. But we know because they're changing clothes, they're changing what's on the dinner table. Um, and the way the way it starts, and they're so close to each other, yes. they're like sitting next to each other, almost adjacent at this table. Yeah, and then it pans then out. Yeah, yeah, but then they do all these shots, like the camera's yeah. going back and forth, back and forth, and then you get that reveal at the end when things are really not going well for them, and the camera pulls back, and there's so much space between them. Like I thought this was amazing, and it's it's so quick. What is it? Thirty seconds. Yep, that's all it needs. It, it tells so much in this time. I thought it was masterful, Edmund. <laughs> I love the nice little touch where she's sitting there reading the Chronicle because that's his rival's newspaper. Yeah, oh, it was a great touch. Yeah, just a massive slap in the face to him. Yeah, it's funny because in so like when I'm doing notes, obviously one of my, the things I'm looking for is favorite scenes, and often I'll have so many possible excellence that I'll need to narrow down. But not nah, Citizen Kane just had the one possible excellent that I guess won by default. You didn't think the ending was a was a banger, but you already knew what had happened though, didn't you? Of course, yeah. everyone knows. Not the people who haven't seen it. I mean, I hadn't seen it, and I knew. You thought you'd seen it though. Yeah, probably because like you knew I, the ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, here's where he starts his torrid affair with Susan. I thought this was interesting. Where they're out the front of the, they're at the front. 
of wherever and he gets mud on him and they have this this conversation and she's like, why don't you just come back to mine and, you know, we'll freshen you up. And he's like, I don't know if I should. And, and in the end, he, he goes, all right, I'll do that. And she's just right there. She just walks into the house. I thought they were going to go for a walk down to a different apartment. Just, the house is like right there. Mm, okay. Did you did you see what he was actually doing when he ran into Susan here? The thing he had just previously talked about was going to a warehouse um, to to be nostalgic and look at something from his childhood. Oh, I must have missed that. Okay. Well, it's here. And obviously, the implication, having seen the film, is the thing that he remembers most from his childhood is the slate. Yeah, Rosebud. Yeah. Now, I read a... A fan theory, Hendo. Ooh. And I quite liked it. I'll, I'll be honest. I read that maybe he said Rosebud, not because in his dying moments, all he cared about was being that carefree young boy and, you know, being on that sleigh on his Rosebud, etc., etc. Maybe he said Rosebud because he was ruining the moment that changed his entire life here. Because had he not been on his way to see Rosebud, to see his sleigh, and bumped into this mistress that he would later marry, and which would end his relationship, his marriage, to the president's niece, right? Like, he was going for governor. The next step is a presidency, which he would surely win and have ultimate power. Maybe he wasn't ruining his mischildhood or his childhood fun. Maybe he was ruining the moment in his life that he lost his opportunity for ultimate power. So if that's the case, and when Susan does walk out on him and he smashes the place up in a fit of rage, the snow globe then, when it triggers him, he's like, Rosebud. He just doesn't want to smash any anger in that now. He holds on to that until the end. True. Mm. I like it. Debunked. No, not debunked. <laughs> True. I agree with you. you wouldn't, know, I, I wouldn't it be more anger for him? Rosebud, this is a fucking thing. because no, he's dying. He's so weak. He's just like, oh, Rosebud. No, but he does that. He gets the snow globe when he's trashing the place. He gets the snow globe and stops trashing everything. Don't you think he would take it out even more on this thing? He was so angry, it paralyzed him, Hendo. He just, just on, it collapsed on the floor. Just could not move, could not smash anymore. Now your theory has holes. <laughs> In fairness, that's not mine. But I quite enjoyed reading it. Yeah, Kane runs for governor here. Hold on. Can we just talk about how he uh, he can move his ears independently? Can you do that? I mean, you know I can. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? You're still not showing me. Oh, okay. Sorry. sorry, sorry. Hold on. You're, you're all listening to this? I mean, you're moving your head. So the way... Oh, my God. Hendo's trying. <laughs> God, I wish this was on video. The way, the way I originally realized I could do it, I was a young lad, right? And I got given a pair of sunnies and they were too loose on my head and they would slide down my nose. So I would instinctively like pull my ears back. Wow, where'd your ears go? I would pull my ears back to try and pull them up my nose, up the bridge of my nose, obviously, not up my nose because <laughs> that would be weird. Um, and then I realized I was doing it and I was like, I kept working on it. And I was like, yeah, I, I actually can do it. And then I started doing it slower and slower. I had a lot of time when I was, I was young. And I realized that when I was doing it, I was actually doing two movements. I was doing my right and then my left, but it was really, really quick. So then I started trying to isolate my ear movements to see if I could actually only move one ear at a time. Don't ever do that to, in front of me again. Hold on. And the other one. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to end this podcast because Dean is just freaking me the fuck out right now. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's, it's actually really a little talent I have. I don't want to brag. I want to give a shout out to patron Luke James Human. Just let us know if that uh, tops Dean's chicken fire story. What are you? T- oh, that chicken fire. <laughs> fire of the old mill. <laughs> so Kane running for governor here. Apparently this audience that's watching Kane 
is actually a photo. It's yeah, just, yeah, I saw that they just poked a heap of holes in this still photo and shone light through it to give the impression of movement. And, like, camera's going off. Yeah, isn't that great? It's ingenious. It's genius, almost. Can I just say how disappointed I was watching him move his ears like that and just, <laughs> just nailing this broad with how impressed she was? <laughs> I was like... I had to, uh, You're telling me that when I, me. when I was a young lad, I could have been doing all this? There <laughs> uh, I was, just practicing at home in a mirror. I should have been out on the town, banging these ears around. Said I'm at home, pulling my ears myself. <laughs> yeah, but some would say this is where Charles Foster Kane's life turned upside down. Yeah. Hey, do you think she's a bad singer when she sings? Because I thought she sounded fine. Well, you don't have the ears of a trained opera singer or listener, for that matter. So you're maybe agreeing. it's been all that moving of the ears over the years. Are you agreeing with me that she sounded fine? Yeah, she sounded fine. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah. Like, why didn't they actually try to make her sound bad? Even in that big scene at the opera where it looks like people are cringing when she's hitting those notes, I'm like, yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, they should have gone the old uh, Lena Lamont uh, path. Wow, please no. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay, so we've got Kane for governor and we see uh, we see this pretty famous shot of him speaking in front of an enormous picture of himself. Yeah, good shot. All right, let's get to the, the affair coming out. Kane, he doesn't want to have a bar of this. No. No, he will not let anyone push Charles Foster Kane around. No, he does not. Not even Gettys. And here's another big line. I'm Charles Foster Kane! Yes, he is. Is it a big line? Maybe it's just well-delivered. Not exactly, you know, like brilliant writing, is it? I don't know if it's brilliant writing, but it's very well-known. Is it? Yes. Hmm. I would argue it's the second biggest line in this film. After Rosebud? Yes. What about the old old disease cure thing? So you can't even remember it. Old age is the only disease you don't want to cure for. Yeah, I don't think this Charles Foster Kane was on this premiere's random list yes, you know, 13 you. years ago. Yeah, I mean, you've given me all these. Oh, this ranked at number 90. Well, this to be fair, I didn't go through nine. all the this trivia. number one. No, yeah, you said all, that. This, there was a lot of trivia on yeah. Citizen Kane. Uh, generally, when I go to the IMDb trivia, I look at my scroll bar and see how short it gets. <laughs> and this kept going and going. And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. I, I read a fair bit of it. Yeah, I, I did. I did. I read a fair bit of it. Uh, like this one here. Apparently, Orson Welles chipped his ankle bone halfway through the production and had to direct for two weeks from a wheelchair. When he was called upon to do some of the scenes when he's in front of the camera, he wore metal braces. And apparently the injury occurred right here when Kane is chasing Gettys down the stairs. He actually fell down them. Yeah, it's pretty rough. There's a great uh, transition here where the camera is showing the 185 door and then it pulls away and it becomes the newspaper front page that we saw earlier. It was great. And I love how they have the two conflicting newspaper articles here where they have Kane wins governor or fraud at the polls. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I mean, if this isn't timely, then what else is? What else is, Hendo? Yeah, I don't think I've got anything that could trump that. <laughs> I think he just did. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but Leland's had enough of this guy. Wants to transfer to Chicago, apparently. I mean, Kane seems pretty accepting to it. What does he care? He doesn't care about anything. It's true. He only cares about himself. Yeah, this is true. I mean, no, that's not true. He wants love. Yeah, but he wants love on his terms. Yeah, he yeah. idolizes love. Yeah. So this is a whole big section devoted to Susan's Susan's opera that she's doing and how bad she is, apparently. Leland giving it a shit review. And I mean, even here, like, Kane takes over the review because he, he passed out and didn't finish it. So he's going to write it the way that Leland was going to write yeah, he it. He showed him. Yeah. Jeez. Take that, Leland. Fires him, of course. Of course. Do you think he fired him because he drunkenly passed out while working or because he wrote this review? Because he wrote the review. I love that he fires him. 
Like, this guy is a friend of his. He fires him without even looking at him. Yeah. Like, he doesn't care. They did mention they haven't spoken in several years at this point. But this bit, we do, like, a, a wraparound on this opera. Like, we cut back to Thompson talking to Susan yet again. Mm. And then we cut back to the past where the, the, the singing teacher is teaching her how to do opera. And, obviously, she can't learn or yeah. he can't handle it. Yep. And then it goes back to that opera. Yeah. That, they, that famous gif. I was going to say the gif of uh, Kane just- Clapping. Like, just going crazy. Yep. Yeah. It's a great gif. Do <laughs> <laughs> so you like this little added touch where Leland send, sends back the uh, Declaration of Principles that they wrote oh so long ago? Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Hendo. Was that- that was Don't lie. That was your excellent. Close to. It was a close second, along with every other scene in this film. <laughs> ah, every other scene except, was a except, second excellent. Except the- uh, News the of news. the world. <laughs> that, was, that was last. But he's really, really pressuring Susan to continue to sing. Yeah, she's in bed here and she's sick. Was this a suicide attempt? I mean, was it ever telegraphed that it was? I don't know. Maybe I've just read between the lines. I don't think it was. I think she's just been overworked. and she. I was- am known for, you know, maybe going too deep into films sometimes. I think you're looking in the wrong places. Do you think it's an issue that we're discussing Citizen Kane and literally everything we've said, like a thousand other people have already said better? <laughs> I mean, I think about that with every movie we do. I never do. I just, I feel like tackling Citizen Kane. It's just like you picked it. Why? <laughs> why, Pastine? Why did you do this to us? <laughs> That's when you know time travel isn't real because that that moment you pick Citizen Kane, Future Dean comes in and beats the shit out of you. No, no, no. I, I, I honestly don't care. I'm having fun, and that's all that matters. I tell you, Susan yelling at Kane though here, really getting into him. This was great. The, the the where she's saying that he never gave her anything ever. Like it's just money, but money never meant anything to him. Yeah. Like what did what like what did you ever give me that you actually valued? That was cutting. That was good. Well written. Well written. You can see the the loneliness and the emptiness, I guess, here. Oh, Quita's Quita's put a little pin in this the end of here. So he hits her, right? Yeah. You're talking about this and I was talking about the scene before, but yeah, don't worry. He hits her and she looks at him and she says, Don't tell me you're sorry. And I knew it was coming, but I loved it anyway. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of uh, Don Draper in Mad Men. Of course. I was just like, yeah. If we're still on that scene right now, how is the look that he has on his face in that chair when she is just going off at him and he's just like, <sighs> please shut up. <laughs> But the scene prior in the mansion, it this I think the sound really is prominent there. Like it's it's very echoey. Like every other every other scene is like you got nice crisp clear sound. This here is so abridged and open. Like how big is this mansion where it is literally this these two people living in it, this signifying this, the emptiness and the loneliness that they're doing right now. They don't have a life. They're stuck up in this Xanadu place, and the sound just perfectly showcases that. Mind you, the the jigsaw puzzle that she had. I've never seen a jigsaw puzzle with that thick of pieces. They were like that. It's because you're not rich, Hendo, right? Man, when you get rich, you get thick jigsaws. Oh, mate, that is the dream. <laughs> it is. That's a goal you could have. <laughs> I don't want these little pieces of cardboard crap that like don't stick together. Yeah, but when she officially leaves him, he's pretty broken down and distraught. And he seems to be convincing her as well until he says, you can't do this to me. And it's like, yeah, you haven't changed. It's still, it's still all about you. It's got nothing to do with her. Yeah, as I said, he wants the idea of love. He wants that, you know, idyllic marriage that he just can't buy. And that's the problem. He can't buy what he wants, which is love, Hendo. All you need is love. <laughs> How weird was this transition 
of this bird screech. I tell you, it almost woke me up. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck this thing was. Oh, was it meant to be a jump scare? I don't know. Did you jump? <laughs> no, I, I, I was watching it and it went off. I'm like, what the hell was that? I think it was a pterodactyl. The the picture of the bird, it had like dead eyes. Like there was no eyeballs in there. It was like, it's like the transition was like a, you could see behind the eyes of the screen behind it. It was weird. I didn't understand it. Yeah, it was very weird. Yeah, but like I said earlier, Kane loses his shit here. Smashes everything up. Yeah, apparently the old man eye lenses. Lenses? What word am I looking for? Contacts. The old man eye contacts um, had to be administered by a doctor every day. And that was so bad, he could barely see. And he was actually really hurting himself. Yeah. Did all this in one take, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he did really well. It was good. But yeah, sees that globe, starts chanting Rosebud. The only word he'll ever say for the rest of his life now, apparently. How good are the mirrors, though? It's a good shot. It's a very good shot. Yeah. What I love about it is the first time you see him walk out, you think that's the real one. Yeah. And it's a reflection. Yeah. Really clever. And then this is basically the end piece here where all the journalists and everyone who are going through his artifacts are just contemplating what it all meant. And I mean, it's a pretty good little speech here from this Thompson guy. Mr. Kane was a man who got everything he wanted and then lost it. Maybe Rosebud was something he couldn't get or something he lost. Anyway, it wouldn't have explained anything. I don't think any word can explain a man's life. No, I guess Rosebud is just a piece in a jigsaw puzzle. A missing piece. But they never find out what it means. No, no one does. Well, we do. With that music, the bam, bam, bam. It's like, holy shit, is the sleigh. Yeah. Any last words? All right, final thoughts, Ender? Are you getting your amazing sound drop ready? No. What? <laughs> no. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously, no. Oh, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is Citizen Kane Hendo. Yeah. Wow. What are all your film nerds going to think if you don't give this five stars? I think they'll respect me. <laughs> as much as they did provide. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Citizen Kane is, is a good film. I enjoyed it. I th- whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Yeah. Back up one sec. You enjoyed watching this film? I did enjoy it. I think the storytelling... I don't believe you. I think the storytelling in this film is is great. The story of Charles Foster Kane and basically from childhood through to his death, the way they present this story with the pace of the timeline back and forth between trying to figure out what Rosebud means and going through his life, except for the news of the world bit, which I'll get to in a little bit, I think we handled really well. I think the acting is pretty top-notch from Orson Welles in this film. He really puts on a performance here for as Charles Foster Kane. There are some very innovative techniques in this film, which sometimes in other films don't really hold up because we've seen them done better in other films. But I think this really works well still. Like I was noticing these things and thinking back to how when this was made in the 40s really holds up. I really enjoyed it. I think the section at the start with the news of the world really, really hinders this. And it's not good to have this right at the start. I, I, I don't see the point of it. I think it would have worked just as well, if not better, if that was not in there. And we just learnt about Kane without that. You know what I mean? And I think the ending, while it is a big reveal, it felt a little flat as well. And I'm talking in particular of after we get the last shot of Kane and then it gets to the journalist, which goes on for a little bit too long. I think it's like an extra maybe 10 minutes of that. Wasn't a fan for that. But I think overall, it's a really good film. And I'm giving it three and a half. Are you shocked, Dean? Uh, I am shocked, but the reason I'm shocked is just because I, I value your opinion so so little that I thought that you would just pander to the masses and just give it a four or four and a half star review because it's Citizen Kane. See, maybe if this was like in year one of the podcast, I'm, 
Oh, maybe. Wow. So you're admitting in the first 52 episodes you overrated films based on what you thought the audience wanted to hear. No, I think I might have done that. This is a big, like, drop the moment mic. Wow, Hendo. I mean, I've been jokingly accusing you of this for so long. I can't believe you've actually caved and admitted it. And, like, can I not be part of the joke? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's not funny if you're a part of it. Uh, Okay, my final thoughts. Uh, This is not a good film. It is incredibly hard to get through. It is boring. And you said said the storytelling is great. And I've got to agree with you. The storytelling is great. The method of telling the story is great. But the story is not great. The story is slow and tedious. I just don't think there's enough substance in this film for a two-hour film. It is the pacing is so slow and tedious. It's there are the lighting's too dark for me, but I, I would say this is a two star film for me. But on the strength of the physical filmmaking, I'm giving it a half star bump. I'm going to give it two and a half stars. But it's the uh, not recommend two and a half star Dean classic. Not as good as Honest Thief. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> There's the poster blurb. Not as good as Honest Thief. I was trying to think. I was like, what have I given three stars to recently? I would watch Honest Thief again before I watch Citizen Kane again. I would watch Citizen Kane and Mank before I watch Honest Thief. No, you would not. <laughs> there is no way. That is an outright lie and you know it. <laughs> I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where's this going to sit on your rankings? All right, let's let's have a look down at the bottom. Let's start at the very last one. My current lowest ranked film, or you could call it my 80th favourite that we've done, is The Seventh Seal. Now, Citizen Kane is better than that. Next, we get to Ben-Hur. Next, we get to Rashomon after that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, do, I do like Citizen Kane more than Rashomon. Then we get to Sing in the Rain, and to be honest... Sing in the Rain has its moments. It's moments of levity, of enjoyment. I could see myself watching Sing in the Rain again and getting something out of it. So, Citizen Kane is going to stop right there. Citizen Kane will be my new number 78 out of 81 films. All right. Only because we did semi-compare it to this film, I'm going to start at the number 65 spot with Rebecca. And I think that Citizen Kane is better than Rebecca. I'm just going to pump it up to the top of my three and a half star list, a couple of spots up ahead. So it beats Paz of Glory, My Neighbor Totoro, and Catch Me If You Can. Citizen Kane is my new number 62 out of 81. Very good. All right, before we continue, we just like to say this show is brought to you by our awesome patrons who've been supporting the show for over two and a half years now, Dean. Two and a half years with Patreon. As always, thanks so much, everyone who supports us over on Patreon. We really do appreciate it. Yes, we are in the middle of our trial video series here. We're going through the the Batman Quadrilogy, and we're coming up to Batman Forever, a very fun, colourful film by Mr. Joel Schumacher. That it is. Looking forward to getting that one done. Yeah, so if you'd like to check that out, we have many different rewards and benefits from as little as a dollar a month. Just head over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney. All right, mate, let's get to... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh... Where we ask our patrons what they thought of the films we break down. Jordan Sharp here to start things off from Dave at the Super Movie Bros. Overrated. He also gave a rating. Do you want, do you want me to read that one? Yes. 10 out of 10. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next here from Luke James Human. Rightly lauded as one of the greatest achievements in cinema, Citizen Kane must have been a revelation upon release. Many of the innovative direction choices seem fresh and are still being paid homage almost 80 years later. 
Plenty of great transitions and match cuts, paired with cunning lighting and some smart rear projection effects, make this visually engaging. Wells, with the assistance of some great makeup, leads us brilliantly from his dashing youth through his ambitious middle age to his ultimately isolated end of his life. The narrative device is well suited to what is essentially a mystery hidden in a fictional biopic. We know Kane only from others' perspectives, and as such, his motivations are ambiguous, and we are required to do some work to empathize. If we had lost everything, but subsequently could possess anything, buy anything, influence anyone, would we act any differently? Yes. <laughs> I would. And lastly here from Nerdrovert. Originally, I thought it was incredibly overrated and pretentious. After a recent rewatch, I can appreciate it more, but I still feel like it's overrated and painfully slow throughout. Three stars. Thanks, Nerdrovert. That is the most negative three-star review I've ever heard. Why? Said he can appreciate it more, and it's overrated. I mean, it's rated. Okay, yeah, fair, okay, fair enough. Like, yeah, the number one film, you know. Yeah. Like, you gotta. Ah, uh, fair enough. All right, thank you very much, everyone, for putting in response. But of course, we've got. Okay, all right. Citizen Kane. Isn't this movie grossly overrated? I think from ever since I was paying attention to movies, it was always, you know, okay, The Godfather might be the greatest film of all time, but then someone would walk in and be like, no, 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 it's Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane's the greatest movie of all time. You know, it, it happened in 1941 and, you know, it just, it, it was never topped. It never, there was never anything better than Citizen Kane. They just got it right. Then, you know, end of film history. Um, <laughs> okay. It, it, it was my first viewing of Citizen Kane today and um, I didn't like it. I thought it was very, very boring. I never got into Charlie as a character. The film puts you in a position where its main plot is to discover who Kane actually was. So we're always on the outside. The characters who are trying to figure out, you know, who Kane is and what he, you know, what his last words meant, you know, they're completely faceless to me. They've got no background. I don't, I don't really know anything about them, and the film never really went into any of them. It's all about Kane. But, um, you know, the, the way it's presented, you know, I never really cared about Kane. I never fully understood things from his perspective because everything's so secretive. And I just, I just didn't really care what he was doing the whole movie. It was like, why do I care about this person? The answer is I do not. So positives for Citizen Kane. Not much. You can, you can follow what's happening without too much trouble. I mean, you know, it functions as a movie. Probably, you know, oh, yeah, a lot of the stuff like the politics, that's not a positive. The politics just went over my head. I didn't know what was going on. But for the positive, yeah, I did think the uh, the aging the ma- aging makeup to Orson Welles was pretty good. It was pretty convincing. And I actually thought when I saw him, you know, as as an old man and or as an aging man, I thought, oh, that's Orson Welles. I didn't realize until you see him later that he's super young. So uh, that was pretty good. But, um, yeah, I already knew the ending because I think, uh, you know, my film teacher at school told the whole class what the ending was or something, you know, something like that, or I saw it on Watch Mojo probably 50 times. Um, the Yeah, so it was nothing new for me. The film could have been better if, if um, yeah, if it was told from Kane's point of view more and spent more time with him, especially as, like, a child growing up. So you can, like, see this connection to Rosebud because it's just never... It's just, like, done. It's one scene and then it's done. Like... What's the point of that? You know, you should, it should have been, you know, it should have been dedicated, 
you know, half an hour to that, like, to actually care about the character, but you just don't. So, um, yeah, and then, and then, then the whole film, film is just flashing back, flashing forward, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's just not doing anything for me. So, yeah, so it's not a good movie. It's not a masterpiece. Um, I'm giving it one and a half stars, so, yep. So, that's it for me this week, guys. Over to you. Wow. I love that he's like, positives, uh, it was easy to follow. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about, about the politics of it all. Well, he ran for governor, Hendo. It's I mean, political. As soon as there's some sort of, something like that, nah, that's it, I'm out. Can't follow it. I'm out. Nah, love the honesty and original take there. I'm glad, uh, you know, you've certainly never been accused of being one of the masses. Oh, Shane. Isn't is- that right, Hendo? <laughs> Why am I one of the masses? <laughs> Three and a half stars. Get off it. Uh, thanks, Shane, for your classic review once again. Thanks, Shane. All right, mate, it's time for... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where this week we asked you, what is your favourite director-actor combo? Meaning the best overall performance of a director who acted in their own movie. And we specifically went for, like, key starring roles. Yeah, so I had to tell Hendo he couldn't pick Pulp Fiction again. Uh, so, yeah, Quentin Tarantino. Don't fucking jimmy me, Jules! <laughs> Is there a sign? No, I won't do that. (laughs) All right, let's see what our awesome patrons have to say here. David Powell says, Leaving aside Kane, which is the obvious answer, I'll go Dances with Wolves. I'm in the minority, but it's a superior film to Braveheart. Mm, Not obvious to everyone, uh, David. Uh, Brian Grabianowski goes with Eastwood. I mean, that's cheating a little bit, isn't it? I think you've got to name a film as well. Maybe you weren't clear in your post-tendo. Just like Dave from Super Movie Bros thought. He's gone with a tie between Scorsese and DiCaprio or Tarantino and Jackson and then realised what we meant and still went with Ron Howard because of Apollo 13. Is he in that? No, he's talking about actors who directed films. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chris Beardsall went with Clint Eastwood. Too broad. It's just too broad. Last one here, Nerd Revert, says Eastwood is the more obvious answer, but the sleeper pick, I'll go with Sylvester Stallone. Man, I really should have worded this question differently. You did not word it well, Hendo. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for your vague responses. <laughs> but, Dean, let's get to our top five director-actor combos. And as usual, we kick it off with you. What is your number five? Give me Ben Stiller for Zoolander. Interesting. All right. My number five. We're going, we're going way back. We're going way, way back. If you say awesome wells, I swear to God. We're going Chaplin in City Lights. Uh, okay. Equally as pretentious. Uh, my number four, John Krasinski, A Quiet Place. Your list is shit. No, my list is true to me and films I enjoy, not, well, I'm going to have to go with this 20s silent film. Oh, what a banger that one was. City Lights is better than A Quiet Place. No, it is Just not. throwing it out there. You are wrong. My number four, Mr. Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born. Finally, a decent pick. My number three is Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven. Well, I wasn't sure if you were going to go for Unforgiven or Million Dollar Baby. You certainly weren't going Bridges of Madison County. Then you don't know me at all. If you thought <laughs> it was a competition between Unforgiven and Million Dollar Baby. My number three is Kevin Costner for Dances with Wolves. Yeah, I need to rewatch it. I watched it when I was... It's like a four-hour movie. I watched it when I was young. Yeah. I think you I think you made me watch it when we were giving each other films to watch. Wow. Yeah. Prick. Yeah, I know. Uh, my number two is Bradley Cooper in A Star Is Born. Okay, that's all right. My number two is Mel Gibson in Braveheart. I swear if Orson Welles is number one. 
Uh, my number one is Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Do you think I'm picking a three and a half star film as my number one here? Yeah, but it's Citizen Kane, Hendo. I think we've established that Citizen Kane isn't Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane in films. <laughs> <laughs> my number one is Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven. Nice. Pretty right. close. Three of the same. Yeah. I mean, that's usually par for the course. Hmm. Right, but of course we've still got DVD challenge accepted. Where we did our little mini movie draft on director actor combos. Did we? Well, I don't think you you rocked up for this one. Nah, I don't, I don't think it was a fair fight. You got me drunk on my birthday and then made me draft. Obviously, you were cheating. Well, I just figured you usually draft like a drunken dickhead. So why don't we just <laughs> do it for real? But who did you go for first? <laughs> <laughs> Your number one pick. My number one pick, um, the very not obvious uh, Mel Gibson in Braveheart. Maybe I went more with my heart than my head there. Because in hindsight, not not a good pick. No, I got the double pick here where I went for Wells and Citizen Kane and Eastwood in Unforgiven. Yeah, and then I took... After like half an hour of thinking, mind you... I mean, I was, I was debating whether or not to throw a quiet place in. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to lose by more? <laughs> Would not have made any difference. Uh, I went with uh, Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born. All right. But uh, yeah, I smashed you in this one. What did I get total here? 65% of the, the total draft there. So yep. Citizen Kane, clear number one. Unforgiven, clear number two. Yeah. So that gives me a three to nil victory on this one. I'll take that for sure. So I need to add a second film onto your movie watch list. And I think I've had this film pretty much the one I wanted to pick for you for a while. I'm going to go with I Saw the Devil. Fair enough. That's the uh, graphic horror film that you like, yeah? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Not a bad choice. When are you actually going to watch Cats, Hendo? When you watch Chunking Express. Did I give Cats to you first? No. I think I did. I think you did. All right, but we're not done with polls yet, Dean. We had to catch up on uh, asking everyone of these films that we've done breakdowns on if they're worthy of the 250 best films of all time. And we have to go back to The Apartment. So what do you reckon for The Apartment? is do, Does everyone think it's one of the best 250 films of all time? I'm going to say no. Well, 67% say yes. Okay. What about The Lives of Others? I'm going to say no. Yeah, you're right there. 62% say no. And then we hit up seven. I'm going to say yes. Big yes. 75%. And then we hit today's breakdown. Citizen Kane, what do you reckon? You're asking friends of yours? Yeah, your friends. <laughs> uh, I will say yes. And how much do you reckon? 83%. Ooh, that's actually pretty close. 80%. Wow. Yeah, there you go. This is going to be a popular podcast. <laughs> so, what's next? All right, Hendo. What top Citizen Kane? What's the next film we're going to break down? So I was going through the list and a film popped out to me that I have seen, but it was a really long time ago. I don't remember much about it and I really would like to rewatch it and get a better sense of it now. It's sitting at number 70 on the list. Care to have a guess? Casablanca. No, it is not Casablanca. Was that close? I mean, it is black and white. It's from the 60s. That's not Casablanca. It is the Stanley Kubrick classic, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Wearing I Love the Bomb. Oh. Groan. All right. I take it by that groan that you are quite happy with this choice. Yes. I. Th- yep, yep. It's going to be good. Going to be very funny, no doubt, because it's a comedy, yeah? Yes, it is labelled as a comedy. There are laughs in this film, some that I can remember. I really don't remember too much about this film, so I'm pretty keen to go and watch it and come back next week to get your loving, loving thoughts on this film. So thank you very much, everyone, for checking out this episode, and we will see you next week for Dr. Strange Love of Hell and Stop Wearing a Love Bomb. Bye.